at a meeting of the American Psychological Association, Jack Lipton, a psychologist at Union College, and Scott Billion, a graduate student at Columbia University, presented their findings on how members of the various sections of the 11 major symphony orchestra perceived each other. The percussionists were viewed as insensitive, unintelligent, and hard of hearing, yet fun-loving. String players were seen as arrogant, stuffy, and unathletic. The orchestra members overwhelmingly chose loud as the primary adjective to describe the brass players. Woodwind players seemed to be held in the highest esteem, described as quiet and meticulous, though a bit egotistical. Interesting findings. With such widely divergent personalities and perceptions, how could an orchestra ever come together to make such wonderful music? The answer is simple. Regardless of how those musicians view each other, they subordinate their feelings and biases to the leadership of the conductor. Under his guidance, they play beautiful music. Now, I don't know who wrote that, but I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a great segue to our lesson for this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, and the question is encompassing so many divergent personalities and cultures and customs and people and behaviors. How can the kingdom of God ever come together and make harmony and make music and glorify God? How can there be a unity of purpose and action? How can there be harmony uh, in the midst of differences? How can there be any progress at all? And I think the answer is the same, is submission. So in Ephesians chapter 5, we're uh, in the series called Out of This World Life, and we've been looking at the ways that, looking at the, the things, rather, that, that distinguish you and me from the world that doesn't know Jesus. Yes? The things that distinguish, that differentiate us from the world out there. Okay? That we, know, we don't live according to the customs and precepts of the world. We live uh, according to an out-of-this-world life. And that's been sort of the theme of the series. And we're almost through with the series through the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 5 of Ephesians. We'll start in verse 21, and we'll go all the way through uh, chapter 6, verse 9. That's a lot of ground to cover. Okay, so if I keep you all a few minutes past K9, so bear with me, okay? There's a lot, of a lot of ground to cover here. I'll do my best. So let's begin here in verse 21. And Paul begins this section by addressing the way we ought to relate to one another in the body. He says, we ought to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says that if we are to revere Jesus as our Lord, we will live lives that are characterized by submission to his headship over our lives. Submitting to one another means that means that we don't put ourselves first, that we seek the good of the whole, that we seek the good of the body. We don't engage in rivalries. We don't seek our own interests as first and foremost. It's really a continuation. If you, if you read that passage, the preceding few verses is a continuation of those preceding few verses where, where as Bill talked about last week, right? it's talking about the way we live a spirit-filled life. Bill Bill shared with us last week of uh, how the Ephesian Christians, for example, to whom Paul is writing, they were at one time darkness, but they had become light. There was a fundamental change that had happened in their lives. And he says, now listen, put away the deeds of darkness and live as children of light. Complete, it's a 180, right? A 180 from how they used to live their lives. Part of that change 
is the Ephesians having to give up the sovereignty that they have over their own lives. It's the Ephesians saying, I no longer have the right okay, to decide what I want to do. My life no longer belongs to me. It belongs to the sovereign Christ. And this, this little verse right there, verse 21 says, you listen, you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other. Okay, you give thanks to God in all circumstances, right? And submit, submit to one another. This is a fundamental aspect of a spirit-filled life. So Christ now, as our head, he leads us into things that are good and beneficial for us. He leads us into things that are in keeping with God's will and God's purpose for our lives. Now, like the music conductor, right, he sees the whole picture. And he knows what roles you and I have to fulfill to make music, to harmonize with each other and to glorify God. And unlike the time that you and I were in darkness, we no longer see his commands as oppressive, do we? There's a fundamental change in the way we see Jesus, in the way we relate to him, in the way we hear his words. They no longer sound oppressive to us, they sound life-giving. I think a good, good illustration there is just how kids perceive their parents' commands. Right? When you're growing up, especially in those teenage years, okay, I, I was there not that long ago, okay? It's been a while, okay? Um, some of my parents' commands did sound oppressive. Ah, oh, you just want to take away my joy. You just, wanna, you just want me to be miserable, right? That's what kids think. Of course, that's not what parents are after. And so as children of light, we begin to see that the things that God is trying to tell us, the things that he's communicating to us, even when he talks to us about submission, are things that are good for us. These are things that are beneficial for us. So when he says that our lives ought to be characterized by, by submission one to another, what we should not try to do is try to take that message and make it fit within our modern sensibilities. Try to make it fit within our modern notions of how things ought to be. Because if we're being honest, submission isn't naturally a part of the American psyche. Agreed? I'll say it's not even naturally a part of the human psyche in general. It's not simply an American problem, though we seem to struggle with it in unique ways. Independence is part of our psyche. Freedom, right, is part of our psyche. But submission just ah, sounds antithetical to, to, to the things that we value sometimes. But our call as Christians is to intentionally cultivate a life of submission. And the scriptures can't be clearer on this topic. Submission, then, is the proper way for us to live because it aligns our lives with the purpose of God, with his design for our lives. We recognize that there is a sense, that there is a meaning to the created order, that things are not just random, that God has ordered these things in a certain way for a certain purpose, that not all ways of living are equal or morally valid, which is, by the way, a lie that our contemporary culture would have us believe, right? You live any way you want. It's all good. It's all the same. No, it's not all the same. And as children of light, we recognize that God's ways supersede our ways, okay? His ways of doing things supersede our ways of doing things. His ways are above our ways, the prophet Isaiah says. So there are God-honoring ways of living, and there are contemptible ways of living. Submission, then, honors God. That's, that's one verse, okay? 
He sets the stage, I think, using that one verse right there. And then when you get to verse 22 onwards, now he sort of hones in on, on the family, on the marriage relationship particularly, and then children and, and masters and slaves. And so we'll take them one by one. We'll go through them. I'm not going to read the whole passage up front. We'll, we'll tackle them as we get to them. So Paul then, he, he moves on from addressing the Ephesian Christians as a whole to addressing the family relationships, right? Because he, I think, understands that, that what, happens at, what happens as a body is going to reflect what happens in the privacy of our own homes, okay? And vice versa. It's silly to think that the one doesn't affect the other. They do. Of course they do. So he extends the authority of Christ from his body to now to our families, and he draws this direct connection between life as a body of Christ and life in our families. Verse 22 through 24 of chapter 5 say, say this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In the, in the Christian family, then, the, the husband is the head. Yes, this is the way that God has purposed it and ordained it uh, and intends for the family to function. And if you go back all the way to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you see that design, right, at the very beginning. Okay, God uh, creates man. He, he, he gives him ownership and stewardship of all of his creation. Uh, and then he creates Eve as a complement to him. That was before the fall. So this idea of submission isn't, isn't, isn't a, an artifact that came in after sin entered the world. But here's the thing. Our society currently can't get behind this idea. Yes? They have a really, really hard time talking about submission. And that attitude sometimes seeps into our churches, seeps into our families. This talk about women being submissive to anybody, let alone a man, is sacrilegious, isn't it? To the dogma of this world? It is. Oh, don't talk to us about submission. Oh, no, 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 that's just a dirty word. Is it? It's a sin to them. It's an offense to our modern sensibilities. Oh, we're past that. We're so sophisticated. We know better now. Do we? It was purposefully designed by God in this way. And our call then is to submit to him, trusting that he is going to lead us into what is good and what is beneficial for us. So, because he is the head, the proper response of wives, Paul says here, is to submit to their husbands. And he, and he gives a model, doesn't he, of what that submission looks like. And he uses the church as an example. He says, listen, in the same way that the church submits to Christ, wives submit to your husbands in the same way, in like manner, submit to your husbands. Christ's role is to be the head. And the church willingly affirms his headship, willingly supports his headship in the same way wives willingly affirm and support the headship of their husbands. Now, because this is really the only exhortation to wives, okay, in this book, let's make sure, let's take a minute and make sure we, 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 we address what submission is and what submission isn't. I think it's worth doing that because, one, there is so much controversy around this topic, and two, um, because there is so much misunderstanding, okay? Uh, these verses have been taken and abused Okay, in the past, so let's make sure that we're all on the same page of what submission is, what submission isn't. Submission simply is willingly subordinating your will to someone else's. That's it. And we do this all the time, don't we? I mean, anytime you obey any kind of law, 
you are subjugating your wants and desires with the will of the local authority. That's it. When you follow the speed limit, you are submitting okay, to the local authority. When you play any kind of sport, okay, some of us play soccer, okay, some of us play more frequently than others, okay, but, but you submit to the rules of the game in order to play. Yes, we, I mean, we submit all the time. Our lives are already characterized by submission. So this really should be nothing new to us. That's all submission is. You're willingly subordinating what you want, your will, to someone else's. This is what submission isn't. Submission doesn't mean that you are inferior to the other person or that you are worthless in some way. It doesn't mean that you have nothing to offer, that you have no role in decision-making. For example, in Mexico, they would say, uh, ni voz ni voto, means you don't have a voice and you don't have a vote. Okay, you don't have a say. That's not what submission is. That's not what we're talking about here. It doesn't mean that your needs and wants don't matter or they're secondary, and it definitely doesn't mean, sub, submission definitely doesn't mean blind loyalty. You know, we know these things are true because if you go back again to Genesis 1 and 2 and you see the creation of man and woman, when Eve was created, she wasn't created as a subjugated slave to Adam. She was created as a helper fit for him, someone on his level, right? God couldn't find anyone else. And he creates Eve for Adam. That a person submits to someone else says nothing about their inherent value. The one who submits isn't less than. Take the example of Jesus, for example. He lived a life thoroughly of submission. Okay? How do we know this? Well, Jesus submitted to his parents. Did he not? Yes, absolutely. Like that one time that his mama got onto him for you know, going away from the crowd and spending time in the temple. Okay, Scripture says that, listen, he, 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 he listened to the voice of his mom and then went home and lived in submission to them. <laughs> Explicitly says that, okay? Jesus was also in submission to the religious authorities. He, he learned under them, okay? He learned Torah with them. He was in submission to the civil authority, the Romans at the time. He wasn't a usurper. The Romans thought he was, but he wasn't. He wasn't here to overthrow their kingdom in any physical sense. And ultimately, of course, Jesus was in submission to the will of the Father, wasn't he? So, I mean, if we are going to be serious as Jesus followers, if we call ourselves Jesus followers, submission simply has to characterize the way we live our lives. Whether that's in the body, whether that's in the home, whether that's in the workplace, which we'll get to here in a second, submission is an integral part of who we are as Christians. But you may be thinking, maybe, maybe not, you may be thinking, but Princeton... We're so different now. I mean, our lives today look so different from the people who lived 2,000 years ago, right? Uh, families look so different now. Women work outside the home for one. Prince and wake up, okay? We got stay-at-home dads. We've got many families where both mom and dad work outside the home. Do all these things still apply to us? And I think the biblical response is simply that our call to submission is unaffected by our modern life and work arrangements. They simply are. Because the, 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 this idea of submission, this notion of submission, doesn't depend on who works, who works outside the home, who makes more money, okay? okay? I know people that have had those, these conversations as they struggle to, as they grapple with this idea of what does submission today look like, especially in the home. It has nothing to do with who works or who makes more money or any of that. 
It doesn't depend on our current culture. It depends on our creator and his words and the fact that he has purposed and ordained it in that way. So then, when he calls us to submit, we willingly subordinate our will as he in instructs us, trusting that his design and purpose for our lives supersede anything we can come up with for ourselves. Moving on. Wow. Okay, listen. Books can be written about this stuff. They have been written about that stuff, okay? And Bill talked about that. Pick up a copy of Meaning of Marriage before you go home, okay? And if you have more questions, of course, reach out to reach out to a minister, reach out to your small group leader, whoever it is, and, and discuss these things further, okay? Uh, verse 25, now he addresses husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So let's address the head then. If wives are to submit to husbands in the Christian home, in the Christian family, what is the husband's role exactly? What is his response to his wife? And I think it's interesting that of all the commands that he could have given husbands, he tells them, he chooses to tell them to love their wives. Now, isn't that sort of implied? Don't we sort of take that for granted? Why does he feel the need to tell them that? I mean, I don't need anybody to tell me to love my wife, or do I? I think it's interesting that Paul takes this tack, that he takes this approach, and here's why. Husbands ought to love his wives, their wives, I'm sorry, in the same way as Christ loves his bride, the church. Tall order. Wives, if you think that submitting to your husbands is difficult, husbands are called to embody, exemplify, the same kind of love that Jesus has for his church, a love that is so deep and so profound that it ultimately cost his life, and he willingly gave it up. That is our call. That's our job. <laughs> That's what we are called to, okay? So wives are called to submit, and here husbands are called to imitate the love that Jesus has for his church. Wow! If the gravity of that doesn't floor you, I don't know what would amazing instructions here to husbands. Husbands, the kind of love that God is calling us to is a love of self-sacrifice, a love so profound that we would willingly give up our lives for the sake of our bride, for her good, for her safety, for her well-being, that we would lay everything on the line for her. This self-sacrifice or self-sacrificial way of living really ought to be the center of how you understand your role as the head of your home, as the head of your family. Self-sacrifice has to be at the center of that. Your position is not about dominance. Your position is not about power. It's about leadership through love and service. That's it. It's following the example of Christ. But here's the thing. It can be easy for us to sort of get all wrapped up in the high ideals of all of this, right? Talking about, oh, yes, I will lay my life for you. 
lay, lay my life down for you. Bruno Mars had a song, right? I'd catch a grenade for you and jump in front of a train for you. And, and that's all great, okay? But everyday life has sort of a way of calling our bluff, doesn't it? Men, husbands, doesn't it? It's the, yeah, yeah, I mean, of course I'd lay my life down for you, but you want to talk about work right now? It's Monday night football. Yeah, I'd lay my life down for you, but you're going to have to ask me a thousand times to take out the trash. Husbands, sometimes our wives want us to do difficult things that we don't want to. Loving her in that moment means taking the lead, leading her, and not being dragged by her, kicking and screaming. There are some among us, and on a more serious note, that the wife just really wants to go to counseling. She sees some issues that, that need to be addressed, and she goes, we need to go see somebody. And the guy's going, why? Why do we need that? No. I know that to be true because I was that guy, <laughs> okay? Okay, when, I, when we were first married, and Danny mentioned that to me, I went, we're fine. What's wrong with us? Okay? In my mind, that, that was just a big deal. Oh, well, you know, normal people don't have to go to this stuff, right? I mean, it's not like we're getting divorced or anything. That was my thinking. And she did have to drag me. That, that's not what being ahead means. Being ahead means you take the leadership. You take the leadership in doing difficult things and you lead your family in doing those difficult things. That is what it means to be the head of your home. I want you to see the mirror effect here. I don't want you to miss it. Not only does the wife willingly subject and submit herself to her husband as the head, the husband lays down his life and willingly subjugates or subordinates his wants and desires for the good of, her, of, of his wife. It's both people dying to themselves, dying to what they want, dying to how they would rather have things work, and living for each other out of reverence for Christ. Isn't that amazing? I mean, doesn't that sound like a much better way of doing life and families than each person whining and nagging and pouting and insisting on their own way? I mean, how, how far does that get people? Have you tried that in your home, in your family? How far has that gotten you? I've tried it. doesn't get very far. Again, as children of light, we, we begin to see these things in our lives the way God does. And we realize, we recognize the wisdom in that. And we see the beauty in that. All right, we're to chapter 6 now. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Children, we got really young children. I think Eliza's there somewhere. She, she's probably like, this guy's still jabbering on, okay? Alexander's, you know, telling Bill to quit it, okay? Says, children, do as you're told, okay? Obey your parents. And he says, listen, it's the first commandment with a promise, right? that it may go well with you. I think a modern translation of that would say something to the effect of the course of your life, okay, depends on your relationship with your parents. So if you ignore them, if you dismiss them, you do that to your own detriment. They've been given to you to love you and to support you and to guide you, pay attention to them. Obey them, live in submission to them in the same way that Christ your Lord lived in submission to his earthly parents. And parents, raise your kids in the discipline and instruction 
of the Lord. If you give them all the academic and sporting opportunities but fail to instill in them a love and reverence for God, you will have failed in your most basic responsibility. Simple as, okay? If you have to pick one thing, okay, pick the love of God, okay? Choose to instill in your children a love and reverence for God. You know, I love making dad jokes. Here's the thing about dad jokes, okay? They work because, partly because you have a captive audience, right dads? It's not like your kids can go anywhere, okay? So why don't you take advantage of that, parents, and instill in them, tell them about God, okay? Quit talking about trivial stuff. Tell them about how God has worked in your life. Instill in them from a very young age that faith, okay, it comes by hearing the word of God. Don't take those moments for granted because before you realize it, okay, Elijah will be seven years old. Oh, wait, he's already seven years old. I can't believe it, okay? So I'm going to take advantage of every moment I have with him to instill in him a love for God, a reverence for God. That is my most basic responsibility toward him, towards Micah. Special note to fathers here, don't exasperate your kiddos. I think it's interesting that he singles out fathers here, okay? Um, sometimes I think, I'll speak from my personal experience here. Sometimes our kiddos can seem like inconveniences to us. Like they're just in the way. It's like, ah, here's, here's all the things I want to do, and now I've got to look after these two little mongrels, okay? And listen, parenthood has its challenges, does it not? We get frustrated sometimes. There are, there are aspects of it that are overwhelming at times. We feel that pressure on us. I, I get all that. I've been there. But it's one thing to struggle with parenthood. But if all you see your parenthood as is, is as a chore, if all it is is, oh, man, well, it's extra expenses. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. There's something seriously wrong. And I would, I would propose to you this, that, that and most of you already know this, but when you love your children for their own sake, not for what they do for you, what they give to you, your complaints about them drastically reduce, don't they? When you love your kiddos for their own sake, you have very few complaints about them, about their behavior. I've seen that in my own life, and I think it's true for a lot of us. Finally, let's get to a reality that thankfully we don't have to deal with a whole lot, at least in this way, okay? Verses 5 through 9 of chapter 6 says this, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. There was, this section, by the way, doesn't, doesn't condone slavery, right? Okay? Uh, people have, have used it for that purpose, but people have used Scripture to, to, to justify their own evil behavior for as long as Scripture has existed. Okay? That's nothing new. Okay? But he is recognizing a dynamic in their culture that existed that needed to be addressed. The principle here, though, I think applies to us and our modern workplace. Christians, followers of Jesus, ought to be the best kind of workers. Be in submission to your boss. That's what it means. Show up on time, do your job, do it well. But, for instance, what if I'm unhappy with my pay? Okay. 
oh, let me find that clause that, that says, okay, you're, you're off the hook then. There isn't one. Oh, what if my boss is a jerk? Does it, doesn't matter. What if the project's too hard? Submit. The word is still the same. The exhortation is still the same. Submit. Jesus knew a thing or two about hard projects, did he not? Did he not? I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before the very public drama of his violent death, the difficulty of what the Father had tasked him with doing becomes salient, does it not? I mean, he's in the garden. You can sort of, as you read through that passage, you can sort of sense the pressure. Okay, he's about to crumble. He's about to break. And he says, Father, please, if there's a way, take away this cup of suffering from me. But does he stop there? I mean, up until that point, you and I can sort of identify, right? At least in our workplaces, God, this is just hard. I'm breaking here. The pressure's just too much. It's overwhelming. Yet, Lord, not my will, but your, <laughs> not my will, but yours be done. In the midst of all of that agony, Jesus could say that. Jesus could still submit. What excuse do you and I have? He knew a thing or two about difficult projects, and he went through with it anyway because he understood the will and purpose of God for his life. Do you understand the will and purpose of God for your life? Because that will be what helps you persevere. That'll be what helps you endure and, yes, submit. The teaching, church, is clear. Submission ought to be, our lives ought to be characterized by submission. Wives submit to their husbands, husbands submit to Christ, children submit to their parents, and workers submit to their bosses. Ultimately, all creation lives in and thrives in submission to the headship of Christ. It's not the way of the world, I'll tell you that. But it is the way of an out-of-this-world life. The world out there thinks this is all silliness and foolishness. Oh, you guys are so antiquated. Listen, let them think what they think, okay? Okay, we don't take our cues from the garbage culture, okay? We take our cues from Scripture, end of. One more reminder, if you wish, pick up that book, Meaning of Marriage, as you leave through the East Foyer. It's only five bucks. But let me, as I close, direct my attention to... to, to to those of you that have not yet submitted to the Lordship of Christ, okay? There's an abundant life that awaits you on the other side, okay? It may seem counterintuitive, but when you begin to see life the way God does, you see that your true freedom and joy lies in submission to Him. And if you claim you are in submission to Christ, but you're not in submission to one another, as we've seen this morning, repent. Whatever your hang-up is with regards to submission, man, this church wants to help you. That's what the ministers are here for. You know, there, there are so many resources available in terms of people, in terms of books, and all of this. Take advantage of it. So let us know how we can help you get over whatever hang-ups you may have about this, how we can help you live in submission. Let us know that as we stand and sing.